Section 22 of Gray's Anatomy, Part 1. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by David Lawrence. Anatomy of the Human Body, Part 1, by Henry Gray. The Temporal Bone, Part 1. Os Temporale. The temporal bones are situated at the sides and base of the skull. Each consists of five parts, viz. the squama, the petrus, mastoid, and tympanic parts, and the styloid process. The squama, squama temporalis. The squama forms the anterior and upper part of the bone and is scale-like, thin, and translucent. Surfaces. Its outer surface is smooth and convex. It affords attachment to the temporalis muscle and forms part of the temporal fossa. On its hinder part is a vertical groove for the middle temporal artery. A curved line, the temporal line or supramastoid crest, runs backward and upward across its posterior part. It serves for the attachment of the temporal fascia and limits the origin of the temporalis muscle. The boundary between the squama and the mastoid portion of the bone, as indicated by traces of the original suture, lies about one centimeter below this line. Projecting from the lower part of the squama is a long arched process, the zygomatic process. This process is at first directed lateralward, its two surfaces looking upward and downward. It then appears as if twisted inward upon itself and runs forward its surfaces now looking medialward and lateralward. The superior border is long, thin, and sharp, and serves for the attachment of the temporal fascia. The inferior, short, thick, and arched, has attached to it some fibers of the masseter. The lateral surface is convex and subcutaneous. The medial is concave and affords attachment to the masseter. The anterior end is deeply serrated and articulates with the zygomatic bone. The posterior end is connected to the squama by two roots, the anterior and posterior roots. The posterior root, a prolongation of the upper border, is strongly marked. It runs backward across the external acoustic meatus and is continuous with the temporal line. The anterior root, continuous with the lower border, is short but broad and strong. It is directed medialward and ends in a rounded eminence. The articular tubercle, eminentia articularis. This tubercle forms the front boundary of the mandibular fossa and in the fresh state is covered with cartilage. In front of the anticular tubercle is a small triangular area which assists in forming the infratemporal fossa. This area is separated from the outer surface of the squama by a ridge which is continuous behind with the anterior root of the zygomatic process and in front in the articulated skull with the infratemporal crest on the great wing of the sphenoid. Between the posterior wall of the external acoustic meatus and the posterior root of the zygomatic process is the area called the supermeatal triangle or mastoid fossa through which an instrument may be pushed into the tympanic antrum. 
At the junction of the anterior root with the zygomatic process is a projection for the attachment of the temporomandibular ligament, and behind the anterior root is an oval depression, forming part of the mandibular fossa, for the reception of the condyle of the mandible. The mandibular fossa, glenoid fossa, is bound in front by the articular tubercle, behind by the tympanic part of the bone, which separates it from the external acoustic meatus. It is divided into two parts by a narrow slit, the petrotympanic fissure, glacierian fissure. The anterior part, formed by the squama, is smooth, covered in the fresh state with cartilage, and articulates with the condyle of the mandible. Behind this part of the fossa is a small conical eminence. This is the representative of a prominent tubercle, which, in some mammals, descends behind the condyle of the mandible and prevents its backward displacement. The posterior part of the mandibular fossa, formed by the tympanic part of the bone, is non-articular, and sometimes lodges a portion of the parotid gland. The petrotympanic fissure leads into the middle ear or tympanic cavity. It lodges the anterior process of the malleus and transmits the tympanic branch of the interior maxillary artery. The tympani nerve passes through a canal, canal of hugulaire, separated from the anterior edge of the petrotympanic fissure by a thin scale of bone and situated on the lateral side of the auditory tube in a retiring angle between the squama and the petrous portion of the temporal. The internal surface of the squama is concave. It presents depressions corresponding to the convolutions of the temporal lobe of the brain and grooves for the branches of the middle meningeal vessels. Borders. The superior border is thin and beveled at the expense of the internal table, so as to overlap the squamous border of the parietal bone, forming with it the squamosal suture. Posteriorly, the superior border forms an angle, the parietal notch, with the mastoid portion of the bone. The antero-inferior border is thick, serrated and beveled at the expense of the inner table above and of the outer below for articulation with the great wing of the sphenoid mastoid portion pars mastoidea the mastoid portion forms the posterior part of the bone surfaces its outer surface is rough and gives attachment to the occipitalis and auricularis posterior it is perforated by numerous foramina one of these, of large size, situated near the posterior border, is termed the mastoid foramen. It transmits the vein to the transverse sinus and a small branch of the occipital artery to the dura mater. The position and size of this foramen are very variable. It is not always present. Sometimes it is situated in the occipital bone or in the suture between the temporal and the occipital. The mastoid portion is continued below into a conical projection, the mastoid process, the size and form of which vary somewhat. It is larger in the male than in the female. This process serves for the attachment of the sterdocleidomastoideus, splenius capitus, and the logissimus capitus. On the medial side of the process is a deep groove, the mastoid notch. 
digastric fossa, for the attachment of the digastricus. Medial to this is a shallow furrow, the occipital groove, which lodges the occipital artery. The inner surface of the mastoid portion presents a deep curved groove, the sigmoid sulcus, which lodges part of the transverse sinus. In it may be seen the opening of the mastoid foramen. The groove for the transverse sinus is separated from the innermost of the mastoid air cells by a very thin lamina of bone, and even this may be partially deficient. Borders The superior border of the mastoid portion is broad and serrated, for articulation with the mastoid angle of the parietal. The posterior border, also serrated, articulates with the inferior border of the occipital between the lateral angle and the jugular process. Anteriorly, the mastoid portion is fused with the descending process of the squama above. Below, it enters into the formation of the external acoustic meatus and the tympanic cavity. A section of the mastoid process shows it to be hollowed out into a number of spaces, the mastoid cells, which exhibit the greatest possible variety as to their size and number. At the upper and front part of the process, they are large and irregular and contain air. But toward the lower part, they diminish in size, while those at the apex of the process are frequently quite small and contain marrow. Occasionally, they are entirely absent, and the mastoid is then solid throughout. In addition to these, a large irregular cavity is situated at the upper and front part of the bone. It is called the tympanic antrum and must be distinguished from the mastoid cells, though it communicates with them. Like the mastoid cells, it is filled with air and lined by a prolongation of the mucous membrane of the tympanic cavity, with which it communicates. The tympanic antrum is bound above by a thin plate of bone, the tegmen tympani, which separates it from the middle fossa of the base of the skull, below by the mastoid process, laterally by the squama just below the temporal line, and medially by the lateral semicircular canal of the inner ear, which projects into its cavity. It opens in front into that portion of the tympanic cavity which is known as the attic, or epitympanic recess. The tympanic antrum is a cavity of some considerable size at the time of birth. The mastoid air cells may be regarded as diverticula from the antrum, and begin to appear at or before birth. By the fifth year, they are well marked, but their development is not completed until toward puberty. End of section 22. Recorded by David Lawrence in Brampton, Ontario, September 2008.